0: Welcome to the National Democratic Institute's Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. In these candid conversations, recorded from home, politically active women from around the globe interview each other about the male dominated world of politics. They're the best examples of why we need to move faster to reach political parity between men and women before the middle of the next century and change the face of politics. In this episode, Cristiana Figueres, former executive secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and co-founder of Global Optimism, interviews Jamila Ribeiro, Brazilian Black feminist philosopher and journalist, about her work to advance the rights of Black women in Brazil. Hello,
1: and welcome to this episode of Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. My name is Cristiana Figueres, and I am the former Executive Secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Sorry about that mouthful of a title. And I am today the co-founder of Global Optimism. My delightful guest today is the wonderful Jamila Ribeiro, a Brazilian black feminist philosopher and journalist. She is the author of several books on black feminism, a columnist for newspapers and magazines, and a guest professor in journalism. Jamila became the deputy assistant of human rights for the city of Sao Paulo in 2016. Jamila, I am so looking forward to this conversation because I honestly just can't imagine what it has been like to take the risks that you've taken. And I'm very much hoping that you're going to share some of that with our listeners.
2: Hi, Cristiana Figueres, it's a pleasure to be here and have the opportunity of this conversation. I admire your work, I have read a lot about you. So I'm very happy to be here, thank you.
1: Wonderful, well, thank you, thank you. Jamila, um, this year, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Beijing Conference and Platform for Action. Um, Action for for women, for women in leadership, for women's equalities, for women's rights. That's what the Beijing Conference was. Now, um, as you look back over those 25 years, what, what do you think has changed for women in terms of opportunities, decision-making, political leadership? What has changed and what has outrageously stayed the same?
2: Well, here in Brazil, in the past few years, we had some advances in Brazil, mostly in some progressive governments. Labor Party in Brazil was responsible to, of course, we have critics, but we have to admit that there was some public policies for women and for black people in Brazil, especially during Lula administration, for example. Uh, We had some uh, secretaries for women to to think public policies for women. We had affirmative actions for black people in universities. Uh, There were some progress in Brazil. But I think that our challenge in Brazil is to understand that it's not possible to talk about gender without talk about race, because Brazil, the majority of population is black. Uh, black women in Brazil represent uh, 27% of the population, and black women are the social group were more discriminated in Brazil. Most of the black women in Brazil are still domestic worker or are working uh, in some jobs that are not uh, social valued. So I think it's our change to think our challenge to think about intersectionality in Brazil. There were some advances in Brazil for sure, but especially for white women in Brazil and in the Black movement, there were some progress, but especially for Black men, maybe. And when you are not a white woman or a Black man, uh, the public policies uh, sometimes do not uh, see us as benefits of these policies. So I think there were things that we have to, of course, to admit that were important, especially in terms of public politics, in terms of education. Um the discuss the discussion on race on feminism in Brazil were in the public debate, there were some things that were very important. But still, as black women, we see this gap, this invisibility sometimes in think about intersectionality, and how in Brazil the races
1: uh, and the sexes are oppressions that we have to face together. So what I hear you saying is that black women in Brazil but very possibly in most other countries as well are actually doubly hit first by gender and then by race or first by race and then by gender or by both at the same time. So doubly hit with respect to opportunities probably with respect to education with respect to professional opportunities with respect to sitting at decision tables um, uh, a, a, a situation that I would say we have inherited from thousands of years ago, right? Um, and are we getting anywhere? Are you seeing, Jamila, any evidence of progress of having black women become, um, become more engaged in politics, sit at more decision tables? Are you seeing any light there? at the end of that long, dark tunnel?
2: Oh, yes, I see. I think, uh, of course, now in Brazil we are during we are under a very conservative administration. We are facing a very difficult reality now, but for sure, I think the the, the, the feminist movement in Brazil was very important uh, to put these subject um, in the public debate. Uh, the women w- organized the, but the, the, the feminist movement organized a lot of women against Bolsonaro. There were a lot of demonstrations and I think the organizations, the black uh, female organizations and the feminist organizations was very important in Brazil, especially in the eights, in the nineties, to you know to highlight this discussion on Brazil. So I can tell about Sueli Carneiro, Luisa bai, who's, uh women who were important to think public policy for black women, for women in Brazil. And for sure, I see that now in Brazil, even under this terrible administration, uh, the girls are talking about feminism. the the, the discussion on feminism in Brazil is very strong as it was never before. We see a lot of young girls in schools, organizing themselves and in universities, in uh, poor neighborhoods in Brazil, women that are together, uh, organizing themselves to think, you know, how, how to discuss these subjects in their communities. So I think it's very important to value this work of these women in communities, in favelas, because usually we see favelas, the slums, these kind of places in, in Brazil, only through this perspective of the absence. And I think it's very important to look up in the perspective of the potential potential of these women. That during this time, this pandemic time, they are organizing themselves, try to help the community. How these women, historically in Brazil, they were, you know, resisting. So, and, but I think now, this kind of work are being more valuable. I think that the, the feminist movement underst- understood that the, is not about. It's not only about academia. It's not only about some certain groups of women. I think now in Brazil, we are being able to to recognize that it's a, it's a movement that is spread and how it is important in a huge country as Brazil is. It's a huge country, two hundred million people and how it's important to look up to Quilombola women. I published a book written by 18 Quilombola women, how it's important to learn from indigenous women, how it's important to learn from these women who live in small cities. So I think for me now, the light that I see is the diversity of the
1: feminist movement and how it's important to recognize it emerging, finally emerging. I'm very taken, Chamila, about your um, very crystal clear differentiation between seeing uh, life through the absence of or seeing life in politics through the potential of, two very different perspectives. And I'm, I, I'm very interested in that. And I think our listeners would be interested also in in understanding that difference, but understanding it through your personal eyes, Jamila. And I would love to invite you to tell us a little bit about your story. When did you recognize your potential to step into, um, into the political role that you're playing, the um, influential role that you're playing both academically as well as politically as a journalist. When Tell us a little bit about where you were born, what your family life was like, and what was the moment or the moments in which you, the light went on for you and you said, wow, here am I, I have a potential to step into this challenge
2: well i was raised in a family uh, in a black family my father was worked in the port in a small city it's not so small it's in the seaside of sao paulo is uh, my mom was a, a housekeeper but before marrying my father my mother was a domestic worker and my grandmother was also a domestic worker and Before then uh, they were enslaved. So in Brazil, the the, the cycle of domestic work in in the, for black women is a reality. And the cycle of domestic work was breaking in my generation. And my father, um, he was an activist. Um, He was very, he, he had a lot of awareness on black issues in Brazil. That's why I have an African name. My sister has an African name. I have two brothers and my father raised us with this awareness. You we were black people in a racist society since we were children. And my mom, she was a housekeeper and my mom, she was very important for in, in my life because She introduced me into Candomblé, which is an Afro-Brazilian religion, very marginalized in Brazil, unfortunately. But it was very important to me to have the opportunity to be in these kind of places, because outside Candomblé, the society was very racist and violent to me. But in Candomblé, you have the God and the Goddess. It's a way to see ourselves, uh, through a new perspective. It's like you have a female goddess, we call what is like in for example, that she's mother, but she's also a warrior. You have another kind of goddess that she's a mom, but she's also very powerful. So for me to have the opportunity to be in a religion like that, that mm-hmm. women are not, you know, this, uh, it, was, it was different from the view of the society on women. Now, women are weak, women are these, and there in Candomblé for me, it was a completely different reality. To see uh, this, um, this, I call this different geography of reason for me to, 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 to be there. But it was difficult. I was a child, I enjoyed to be there, but I was very discriminated in schools, in my school as a, black, as a black girl, as a black girl from Candomblé, it was very difficult to deal with that. So during a long time, I tried to deny that. I mm. tried to be a Christian girl, I tried to not be involved because it was very violent in schools. And I think that it changed for me Although my father was a very, very, very activist guy, although my father was very, you have to study, it's important to you and your brother and sister to study, you need to, you, you needed to, you know, have education, please study, I don't want you to depend on man, my father was this kind of guy. But I think the things changed for me when I was, maybe 18 years old, and I met a black feminist organization in my city, which was very important to me to know about black feminists, to read black feminists, because in schools they denied it to me, this kind of knowledge. So to know that there were writers and activists and journalists and a lot of women that were very important to our society, but that these schools and the rest of the society denied uh, this kind of uh, knowledge for me. So there, in that place, it was a turning point for me because I knew that I was a black woman. I knew that it was not my problem, but I didn't have the self-esteem to stand up. And there with that woman, it was very important to be part of a movement and to be part of a, a social change. So it was the first time that I have the opportunity to travel by plan because I, I went to a lot of seminars. I have that political formation that was very very important, and that uh, after that, I I became an activist, I became a woman with self-esteem, I came back to my religion. It was for me, you no, know, you are not alone, that a lot of black women here with you. And also to understand the feminist, uh, organi- feminist movement, because my father was an activist, but he was a man. And although he was very with me and my sister, he was very, Uh, protective. He um, taught me that it was important to me as a black woman to have education, but with my mom, it was not like that. And he was part of a movement, male dominated. So to have the opportunity to be there in that black feminist organization to understand the feminist perspective was very important to me. So I always say that the feminism saved me, saved me, and gave me the strength to stand up. And after that, I became an activist and did a lot of things. And wow. decided to that that was the, my turning point.
1: <laughs> what a story. What a story, Jamila. So um, what, what I think I hear you saying is your mother introduced you to Candomblé, where there are these very, very strong female goddess figures that you were holding on to but there was this huge contrast with the world out there that you perceived and it was the black feminist activist movement that Close that gap, that reality gap. There's one reality, which is what Candomblé is telling me. There's another reality, what the world is telling me. And the black feminist movement actually closed that gap for you and empowered you to become the activist that you are today. Interesting that you note that your father, actually made perhaps a little exception with you. Maybe he was not quite as generous with with, uh, your your mother, with his wife, but with you, he was very supportive despite the fact that he was part of that outside world that was not uh, very venomous, supportive. But did he make an exception with you? Was he also supportive of you?
2: Yes, since I was a little child, I, I am the youngest of four children and I have a sister and two brothers. And my father, since I was a little child, I have, he has already passed away, but I have some books, for example, that he gave to me when I was eight years old, because for, for, for my father, it was very important that all of us, me and my brothers and sister to have the opportunity to study. Because my father, he didn't have the opportunity to study, my mom either. So he was very supportive with with me and my sister. But, uh, of course, there were some difference in the way they raised us. You know, my brothers, they could do a lot of things that I couldn't and a lot of things. But in terms of education, my father was very supportive. You needed to study, you needed to understand that you were a black girl in a race society. I am a man, I know how men are, so I don't want you to depend on men, have your life, have your money. So since I was a little child and I was a child, why wow. is he talking about? <laughs> you know, But uh, he was very supportive in these terms, you know? He was very sexist with my mother. So I was able to perceive that, um, you know, I, 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 I saw, how it was difficult for my mother but it's crazy because for me and my sister he had a completely different way to deal so
1: how interesting how interesting well Jamila so so It sounds like you've been weaving many beautiful threads together, the time that came from your mother, the education that your father um, made sure that you got your self image um, that you got from both sides, the black feminist exposure. It seems like you've been weaving all of these threads into a beautiful tapestry that is who you are today. Um, I'm actually interested in knowing from you what surprises are there in that tapestry? What what caught you completely by surprise? Or when you moved in and, and understood that actually you are a black feminist activist? What you know what, what yeah, yes, I'm sure that you knew already that there was going to be a lot of resistance out there in the outside world, but what else? What else did you encounter that was actually surprising to you?
2: Well, in my personal life, I can say that I found some surprises when I got married, for example, because my father, my mom passed away in 2001 and my father passed away in 2002. It was very difficult. I was only 20 years old, 21 years old. It was very difficult to deal with these loss. So I had to work, I, I was already working, but I had my brother and my sister, It was very difficult. And after that, I met um, a guy and we started dating. And after that, I we married. I got pregnant, a lot of things. And I, I didn't finish my education, my, my, uh, my college. And for me, it was a shock because I was raised to not depend on man. And then I saw myself yes, married with you a child. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was that, oh my God, I, I want to study. Of course, I, I have a daughter. She's a wonderful teenager. She is 16 years old. She's an amazing girl. But at that time for me, I was 25 years old with a baby. And I was not feeling, you know, fulfilled. I was not feeling, wow, that's it. For me, it was, that's it? No, I- Is that I, I all? Wanted, is that all? I wanted more. It was for, it, and it was very difficult to deal with the prejudice on motherhood because when my daughter was three years old, I decided to study. And I was working there in, my, in the city that I lived, Santos. And I found out that it was a campus of the Federal University of Sao Paulo. And I, I always loved philosophy because my father, he used to read for me, to give me books. And I, rem- and I was there working, and I was there in the internet looking at some things, and I, wow. There is a new campus. Oh, there is philosophy. And I, I decided to try. And I I did the tests at the time. And my husband at the time, I didn't tell him because I knew that it was be a problem. And turns out that I got in. And for me was like, oh my god, and now I got in. My daughter is three years old. I live in a city. The campus is in city, it's in Sao Paulo, what I'm going to do. So that time I needed to face um, a lot of prejudice because my husband was not so supportive. Um, my parents uh, were not here anymore. It was very difficult to me, how I am going to do that. And people, you know, oh, Yes, you prove that you are intelligent, but you are not going to the college. You have a daughter. You're not your daughter needs you. The call co- the campus is in another city. Oh, are you going to abandon your daughter with her father? This kind of thing. So it was very difficult to me at that guilt, time, but at guilt, I decided guilt trip. Guilt. Guilt. Yeah, guilt. But I decided to go. And it was the best choice of my life. But at the same time, it was very difficult to deal with all that things. And, but I decided to face, and then my daughter, uh, to, to stay away from my daughter It was difficult at that time. But at the same time, I decided to break the cycle of my family, my mom, Haven't the opportunity to study, my grandmother, I decided to break that cycle. So for me, it was very important to do that. But when I went to the the university, it was another shock. You know, I studied philosophy. So it is a very white male dominated area. And I wanted to study uh, female philosophers. So it was very difficult to deal with the academia in, that in Brazil it's very Eurocentric. And I decided to study Simone de Beauvoir. And I remember when I asked the professor, oh, I want to study Simone de Beauvoir, what do you think? And he, his answer was, Simone de Beauvoir, who is it? Sartre's Sartre wife? And I said, No, Whoa. no. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, another surprise was to face the sexism and the racism of the academia and the, um, that you call in Brazil epistemicide, you know, the assassination of the knowledge from black female people. So, but I decided to go on and I did my master's degree. I studied a lot of female philosophers, but I have to face, have to be an activist in the university to do that. So I think it's for me, it was my surprise that today I am here talking to you and I graduated when I was 32 years old, 32. I defend my dissertation when I was 35. Today I am 40 years old. And I want to tell all the women who think that the time pass that is, you know it's important to pursue it. That is not. That is not. Uh, uh, that is not. You know, too late to do that. And I am very happy to not have uh, gave up.
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, we're happy that you didn't give up too. <laughs> Jamila, you know, I'm sure that many of our listeners are A, admiring and respecting you for the story that you have told us about your personal life, but also very much resonating with it, right? Because your story is your personal story. It is unique, but at the same time, it is not only unique. It's very representative of the stories of so many women in particular in developing countries, but I would dare say also in, um, in developed countries, sadly yet. So um, for those listeners who are being inspired by your, your life story, I would love to um, invite you now to look forward and say, okay, with all of this under my belt, with all of this experience, with all of these beautiful threads that I have woven into my life's tapestry, where are you moving now? What is for you the next step? Or, or in fact, what is your vision and how are you using your position now, your leadership, your activism, your advocacy potential to open up the space for, for more women?
2: Yes, I really like your question because I started to be a colonist in 2014 in a magazine in Brazil. And then I got some visibility uh and in 2016 um i decided to use this visibility to um to do something for other women especially so i created uh uh a seal uh it's a literary seal called Sueli Carneiro, to honor suely carnero who is a very important black feminist in Brazil. And for me, it was important to honor her in life. As usually in Brazil, they honor great women when they are red passed away. So yeah, I Yeah, not
1: only to- in Brazil, Jamila, not only in
2: Brazil. <laughs> so I decided to publish women. So I created a, um, a collection called Plural Feminist Collection. So it's a way to publish, uh, women, also men, black men, but mostly women, because I think that our epistemologies, our knowledge, they are not visible in a society like like in Brazil. So, from nineteen sixty four, from no, from nineteen sixty four to two thousand fourteen, the books that were published in Brazil, 90% were published by white men, 90%. So for me, it was very important to create something to face this reality because in college, it was very difficult to have access to work from female thinkers and black thinkers. So today in Brazil, I am a writer but also I publish other people and I have already published um, 60, 60, no, 26 person, people in Brazil, mostly women. Uh, last year, we published a book written by 18 quilombolas women, quilombolas women that are black people who lives in, in the quilombos descent and the first book in Brazil that was written by Quilombola women, that women were telling their stories, their narratives. So I use that publishing people and also I have a platform, uh, online platform that we, you have courses on feminism, on empowerment, intersectionality, and it is very, uh, with affordable prices. Also the books and the courses in the online platforms, they have um, affordable prices because I think it's very important to people to have access to this kind of reflection. And, and also I write in a, in a very important newspaper here in Brazil and uh, of course I try to give visibility to the issues of women in Brazil, especially now under Bolsonaro administration that there is no budget anymore to think po- public policies to confront domestic violence. So we are living in a very difficult situation now, but I, I decided to do that and also to support women on politics and also to support uh, organizations. And I tried to, to do this collective work because I didn't want to be alone in that. It's, for me, it just doesn't make sense to be alone. To me, it was important to construct a collective work with different women from different parts of Brazil. But in, in this market, in editorial market in Brazil, that is very elitist, and to publish women who is not graduated, but also to publish women who are PhD. And also to publish women who lives in rural areas. So I tried to use this space to to do that in Brazil. And fortunately, we are doing we are doing great because before the pandemic, I decided to not do events only in the in the big cities or in bookstores. So We did a lot of events in poor areas, in public centers, in different places of Brazil. And for me, it was great to go to the North. And then there were 2,000 people there to go to the Northeast. And there are a lot of people there, especially women. And how a lot of women who write for me because I receive a lot of letters and people who write for me and say, oh, I decided to come back, study. Now I read the book. Now I know who was Leila Gonzalez. I know who was Lisa Bairros. I know that there were a lot of women doing a great work in Brazil. So I decided to, to do that to, to register our history, our mm-hmm. narrative. That's uh, what I do today. And I, I continue being a writer I'm going to launch a new book soon, but also an editor who publish other people.
1: The work of other women. Fantastic. Other women. especially. Well, yeah, other women, especially. Well, Jamila, how, how wonderful. This has been a totally delightful conversation. Now I have a little confession for you. Um, I am a podcast host, and I think once you're a podcast host, always a podcast host. And on our podcast, which is called Outrage, And optimism, because I think in life we need both. We need to be outraged and optimistic. At the end of each of our conversations, we always ask our interviewer, you know, where are you in that spectrum between outrage and optimism? And I would love to know from you, where, you know, given where you have come from, where you are today what you were doing to publish and make known the voices of so many women, especially Black um, uh, black women. W- are you more on the outrage side? Are you more on the optimistic side and why?
2: Maybe I am in the middle, I think. Okay. Well, I think that, you know, I am a woman from Candomblé again. And I think in Candomblé, we learned that yes, there is a lot of troubles that you have to face as women, as black women. But in the other hand, it's very important to, um, you know, to try to have these moments that we can be, uh, you know, where you find your strength. I am a human being. There are some times that I'm very out I am weak. I am tired, but, it's also, I have this place that I can go and to, and to be fulfilled again. I think it's very important to, to do that. And I take care of my spiritual dimension. And I think it's very important to me to do that because to live in this society, in this craziness that we are facing here in Brazil, with this president, a lot of people dying in the, this pandemic time, I think it's very important to have this time you know, to go there and to think and to receive all the blessing from the orishas and to come back to the war again. You know, I think for me, I think I I am always in this side. And and on the other hand, I think, yes, it's difficult. Yes, uh, my ancestor also had to face difficult times, but because a lot of my ancestors didn't get, give up, that's why I'm here today. So I think it's, as I have, a, as I, I am a mother, I think it's important also to go on, to not break this cycle. You know, I, when I have to rest, I take a rest. When I have to breathe, I take a breath. But I think it's like um, ancestor, it's compromising, I guess. To, to, of course, to, to, to understand that I am a human being, that I, I, I need my time, but in the other hand, yes, it's difficult, but we need to go. I think it's um, to think in the blast cycle, it, it makes sense for me. So yes, I am angry, but also I, I think, the happiness is important to us as an activist. And you think sometimes that you don't have the right to be happy, you don't have the right to be loved, that you don't have to be taken care of. And as a black woman, I say to them, no, it's important to take care of yourself. It's important to be in places that you are going to be loved. And when I say that, not by a man, only I say by our comrades, it's important to be in places that, yes, you are a human being that need to that need to be, you know, loved. Uh, because usually we think that you have to save the world and not take care of ourselves. No, we have to take care of everybody. But who takes cares of people who take cares? Exactly. So I think it's important to find this balance yes. between outrage. And, optimist, and optimism and um, how to balance all these things.
1: <laughs> well, that's a beautiful, be- beautiful um, vision. Thank you so much. Um, it has truly been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much to you, Jamila Ribeiro, Brazilian black feminist, philosopher, journalist, writer, and a self-defined platform for the voices of so many other women. Thank you so much for today's conversation. Thank
2: you so much. I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. To learn more about the series and NDI's initiative, please go to NDI's website at ndi.org.